0: Our scripture this morning comes from James chapter 3, verses 1-12. through 12. Listen for a word from God. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For all of us make mistakes. Anyone who makes no mistakes in speaking is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check with a bridle. If we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Or look at ships, though they are so large that it takes strong winds to drive them, yet they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue is placed among our members as a word of iniqu- world of iniquity. It stains the whole body, sets on fire the cycle of nature, and is itself set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species— but no one can tame the tongue, a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and brackish water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, yield olives or a grapevine, figs? No more can salt water yield fresh. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, my rock and redeemer. Amen. I remember the first time that I recognized the power of my tongue. I hate you. As soon as I said those words, I wished I could take them back. I was about 10 years old and the words were directed at my mother after I didn't get my way about something very silly. It had been a long, hard day for both of us and this was a moment of the straw just breaking the camel's back and as soon as I said those words, my mom began to cry. Now my mom is an incredibly resilient and wise and tough woman and I had never seen her cry before this moment and so it shook me to my core. And I wanted so badly to take those words back. I rushed and I apologized and I hugged her but I could still feel the words swirling around in the air somewhere, and I knew that there was nothing I could do. I recognized the power of the tongue. And I wish I could say that I had learned that day when I was 10 and I never had a problem with it since, but that is not the case. It's a lesson I've had to learn over and over again, and I'm sure it is something that you can all relate to. I wonder when there was a time in your life when your tongue brought something into the world that you regretted. The tongue is a powerful, powerful muscle. We know that it can bring about these moments of regret, but we also know that the tongue can bring beauty and life and love into the world. I think of things like speaking baptismal vows or telling someone you love them, singing praises to God, giving a very sincere compliment to someone. The tongue is capable of such great things and also of such pain. And James speaks a lot about the tongue in this letter today. I think for as many stories as we all have about the bad side of saying things we regret, we probably also have as many about the positive side as well. The tongue is an incredibly powerful muscle. If you are bored and find yourself Googling, I suggest that you learn about the world record holder for strongest tongue. It's a terrifying uh, feat. This man, through the use of a hook, gross, Uh, was able to lift almost 28 pounds with his tongue. Can you believe that? 28 pounds. That's like my entire nine-month-old baby plus eight pounds. It is a huge amount of weight. The tongue is so powerful. Not only can it do muscly things like that, but a tongue is the way that we can sense things about the world. It alerts us to danger if something tastes a little off. The tongue is what enables us to eat effectively, and to form words, and to communicate. It is a wonderful, wonderful muscle. And here in this letter, James can't stop talking about the tongue. To offer a little context here, James is writing as the leader of the very first Christian church. He's leading the church in Jerusalem right after the death and resurrection of Jesus. In a time of intense persecution and diaspora, people are leaving and people are being hurt and persecuted for their belief. And he has this opportunity to write and to encourage believers. And his letter reads a lot like wisdom literature, particularly the book of Proverbs. So, James is thinking about these Christians who are all over this place, dispersed all over, and thinking what are the most important pieces of wisdom for them to know, for them to have success in moving along as followers of Jesus in the world. And this is something he chooses to focus on. The book of James is one of the most controversial books in the Bible, actually. Controversial because it emphasizes so much works and maybe not as much grace. James is famously known for saying, faith without works is dead. And throughout the course of history, some people have said, there isn't enough of that grace of Jesus in there. It's too works-based. In fact, Martin Luther, the reformer, didn't think that James should even be included in the canon. But I think that if you're looking really carefully, you'll actually see grace abounding in this book. It's a beautiful letter. It's only five chapters long, and I would encourage you to read it, start to finish, all in one go, and see it as a whole. And as you do so, look for that grace. Look for ways that James encourages us to do good works because of the grace that we've already been offered. I think we can see that a little bit in our text for today here. So here James is writing to the first group of Christians and he decides some of the most important wisdom to share is about the tongue. The tongue is fire, he says. Fire. Sounds a little terrifying. But I think it's helpful to remember that fire can also be a great thing. Fire can be life-giving. Fire can offer warmth. Fire can cook food. Fire can give light. It can be a signal of hope. But here we are sitting in this beautiful cathedral that has burned down twice. And we know that fire can also be dangerous. Sometimes it ravages and burns and jumps uncontrollably and destroys. Fire is powerful and wonderful, but also dangerous. And James says we all have that within us, in our tongue. It isn't that some people have an evil tongue of fire and some people have a beautiful tongue of angel's wings. We all have a tongue of fire. So our task, he encourages us, is to decide what kind of flames we want to fan with our tongue. And then our second task is to start to work out those muscles so that we can do that effectively. To work out the muscle memory of our tongues. I Remember when I first started ballet lessons and I learned the most elementary ballet step there is, the plie. And I know I'm wearing a robe, you might not be able to see it, but a plie is a very basic bending of the knees. And when I first learned to plie, it took all of my mental energy. I had to think about where each foot went, where my knees went, where my shoulders and my hips were, had to keep my balance, I had to think about how many inches to bend my knees and when to come up and where to put every part of my body. It took all of my mental capacity to plie and to rise. But to plie is the most basic step. It's what you need to do to do any kind of turn or jump or anything in ballet. And so I did plies hundreds and thousands of times. And when I went to ballet class every day, I plied and plieed and plieed, and eventually the muscle memory developed and I didn't have to think about it. My feet and my knees and my shoulders and my hips knew exactly where to go and I got to the point where my teacher would say plie and my body would just do it. The tongue has a muscle memory as well. If you've ever been to the fast food chain Chick-fil-A, you'll know that employees there are trained to say something unique. When a customer says, thank you, instead of saying, you're welcome, they are trained to say, my pleasure. It's unique and it kind of throws us off. We're not used to hearing that phrase, but it makes people feel special and seen. Thank you. My pleasure. I have never worked at Chick-fil-A, but I can imagine that it takes a while to get that training in your bones. After years of saying you're welcome or no problem, it would take some time to be able to automatically say my pleasure. But I'm also willing to bet that once you have had this job for a while and say it over and over again, you probably say it the rest of your life wherever you are, even outside of work. Right? I can imagine being in a household with someone who works at Chick-fil-A. Hey, could you pass me those scissors? Sure, thanks, my pleasure. I bet that happens all the time. The muscle memory just develops. There was a summer I was an um, on-call chaplain, and I had a cell phone with me all summer long that was the on-call line for being a chaplain. And so I answered that phone every day, many times a day, chaplain on-call, how can I help you? And when my regular cell phone would ring, very often I would answer it, chaplain on call, how can I help you? And my poor mother, whoever it was, were like, what? Did I call the wrong number? Our tongues have a muscle memory. Things that we say over and over and over again inform what we do and how we see the world. I think we need to look at some of the common phrases of Jesus to give us encouragement for how to move our own tongues, for how to build up this muscle memory of our tongues and our minds to be the people of Christ in the world. So I have just a few phrases I want to share with you that Jesus speaks over and over and over again as a way for us to think of it as an exercise for our own tongues. And the first one is this. A word that Jesus says more than anything else in the Bible is the word, listen. Jesus says again and again, listen to my voice. Let the one who has ears listen and hear. Listen, my child. It turns out sometimes the best way to use our tongue is to not use it at all. Jesus calls us first to be people who listen. And it's a challenge. I spent a week at the ecumenical monastery in France called Tizay, And as part of the week, you had the option of being in silence. And I did not choose the silent retreat week, but I was so inspired by those that had that I encouraged myself every day to have periods of silence. And so there was one afternoon when I had decided to just be in silence, and as part of that afternoon I was participating in this large group uh, Bible study. And we're sharing, discussing this passage, and there were so many moments at first when I wanted to jump in and blurt something out, I thought, I have a great idea, I really want everyone to know, or that reminds me of something I need people to hear. But I held back, and I listened. And after a while, I realized that my preparation for speaking would have been holding me back from hearing some incredible things that the people around me were saying. Some incredible things that God was saying to me through them. We have to train our minds and our tongues To listen, listen, listen. The second phrase that Jesus speaks a lot that we can use as our own guide for our tongues is thank you. Jesus gives thanks so many times throughout the Gospels. In a moment, we will celebrate communion and we'll remember the story of Jesus giving thanks before breaking the bread at the Last Supper. Before Jesus raises Lazarus, he prays to God and says, thank you for hearing me. He gives thanks before feeding the 5,000 and in prayers, both individual and corporate, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's a tongue exercise we all need to practice, and we've talked before about how gratitude rewires our brains to be happier people, but not until we make it a habit. Thank you, thank you, thank you. The next phrase that Jesus speaks very often are these words, the kingdom of God. In so many teachings and prayers and times with his disciples, Jesus is pointing to the kingdom of God. He says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's like yeast. It's like a sower scattering seeds. Throughout all of his time, Jesus is showing people how to look for the kingdom of God, how to see heaven starting here on earth and to participate in it. When we train our tongues and our minds to talk about the kingdom of God, we can't help but to notice it all around. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. The last phrase I'd like to bring to us this morning is this. I wonder. I'm not sure that Jesus spoke those exact words in that way, but his whole ministry is a testament to that kind of phrase. Jesus asked questions all throughout his ministry. I wonder who the neighbor is in the story of the Good Samaritan. I wonder what any of you would do if your child asked for bread. Wondering invites us into a space of empathy. I knew a mom whose young son was being bullied at school by someone who he used to be good friends with, and so talking about it with his mom, his mom encouraged him to wonder for a moment. I wonder why this boy might have changed his attitude and be bullying. I wonder. So they sat together and they made a list. I wonder if this kid has something going on at home. I wonder if he's jealous of another friendship that I created. I wonder if he's struggling in some way that I don't know about. Wondering invites us into spaces of understanding and empathy. It's a good muscle for us to work out on our tongues, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. These words of Jesus can show us how to make those muscles develop so that we can be people in the world who speak life and love. Thank you. Listen, the kingdom of God, I wonder. It's important to note, too, that Jesus doesn't avoid saying hard things. To have a life-giving tongue does not mean that you never say anything negative or critical or that you're always nice, but it means that you can do so in a spirit of love. Jesus says some very harsh things about the kingdom of God, about who is included, about what we should and should not do, but he does so with love. It's important to notice, too, the grace that abounds in this passage. James says nobody is perfect. All of us make many mistakes, and nobody can fully tame the tongue. No matter how much we try, sometimes those sparks will just fly. There's a fine line with fire between life-giving and life-destroying. Garrett and I, when we uh, were in seminary, we hiked on part of the Appalachian Trail on a backpacking trip. And the first night we had a fire and we both have grown up backpacking and hiking and we know how to build fires in a safe way. We put the rocks in the right place and we had cleared it all out and we built a little fire, but the wind changed at one point and a spark blew into a pile of dry leaves and it started to spread. For a moment, I was sure that we were gonna be those two seminarians who caught an entire forest on fire and I was terrified fire can go from innocent to dangerous very quickly and it's our job to be discerning about where we are and to ask for god's help in it know that there is grace and know that when we make mistakes that we are encouraged to fan a flame of life with the sparks that have started I invite us all to think this week about how we can work our tongues out in a sort of mental gymnasium where we speak words over and over and over again so that they become habit and muscle memory and like a plie, we just become people of thanksgiving and listening and recognizing the kingdom of God, giving thanks over and over again and wondering. Would you pray with me? Good and loving God, thank you for the tongue. Show us the times to use it, the times to hold it still, and let us be people who spread life and love. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.